Welcome to day 210 of Rockcliffe's 365 Days of the Bible. Today I wanted to share a highlight from our readings, which can be found in Isaiah 54 through 58, with a focus on Isaiah 56 verses 3 through 8. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a place of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Here we see again in this passage uh, another quote that is made in the New Testament, which is when Jesus actually upsets the temple uh, and says, <laughs> my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And then he proceeds to drive out the money changers. He's referencing this. See, and I know I've come back to this a few times, but I really want to get in our spirit that the God of the Old Testament is not different than the God of the New Testament. God is faithful throughout the ages. His intention was always to have people come to him. We talked about this yesterday. His intention was always that other nations would join in prayer. And here he's even saying to those who are eunuchs, in other words, can't have a family name, a lineage, I will give you something better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name. I'll give you eternal life, essentially. To the foreigner who thinks that I'll show separation between my people and people who came, essentially says, no, your offerings will be the same as their offerings. I'll delight in you like I delight in them. You'll find joy in my house of prayer. I'll bring you to my holy mountain. This is a big deal. It was at the holy mountain that God made a covenant with the people through the Ten Commandments and through essentially the Levitical laws that they were to be bound to him. He's essentially saying in this passage, to the foreigner who comes to me, I will show no distinction between you and my people. I will be your God and you will find joy as long as you hold my covenant, as long as you keep the Sabbath. In other words, as long as you follow my ways. And I mean, this ties in with what we see. Again, God's anger is towards Israel because they've lacked on their responsibility to bring others towards the Lord. Jesus' anger in the New Testament is a, is a parallel to God's anger in the Old Testament. He's saying, you know, this was supposed to be a place where everyone could come and worship me. The, the temple changers, the money changers uh, in the New Testament passage have essentially taken the outer court, which is where the foreigners and the Gentiles and the you know, eunuchs were supposed to go and worship God. They had taken over the place that was intended for other people to come and worship who weren't of a Jewish persuasion, right? And they had essentially taken away that place and violated it. And that's what Jesus is angry about. 
That's what God is angry about in the Old Testament. See, God's anger is a holy one. It, it has purpose. He's not just some God who wants to smite or squish. He is a God whose love is so great for all of creation, whose, whose desire to restore all of creation is so overwhelming that his anger is struck up when we fail to show that love, when we fail to do what he's asked. And I think about that often. And this passage just really stirred in my heart that we have that responsibility. We have a gift. We have the world's greatest news. And it is selfishness to keep it to ourselves, whether that's out of fear or embarrassment or just, you know, uh, insecurity. We don't have a right to be any of those things when it comes to witnessing about God's love. We don't have a right to sit back and go, oh, you know, I, I can't do it. It would make things weird. You know what? God's commandment is not that you force people to be disciples. It's that you proclaim the name of Jesus and that as those who choose to come, come, we make them disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are not responsible for how people receive the Word of God, unless, of course, you're being an absolute piece of work, right? But if you're speaking in love and truth and reaching out that same grace that Christ did and that God did in the Old Testament, then the only thing you're responsible for is that, is how you project the Word of God. So my challenge and prayer for you is that you would be bold in your faith, that you would feel encouraged and empowered by the Holy Spirit with wisdom to speak those words of truth that will pierce through defenses, that will sink deep into the heart and bring life and renewal. Because we have the Holy Spirit now. We have His life-giving truth. We're not just operating in our own power when we're speaking the words of God, when we're bringing this salvation message. We actually have the Pericles, the helper, to help us do it. So lean into that. Lean into that and be encouraged. You can do it. The Father wills for you to do it and the Holy Spirit will help you to do it. May you be encouraged by the word and built up in spirit. Join us tomorrow for another highlight. And until then, be blessed.